1: Film spotting SVU is brought to you by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
0: Watch Isaiah Washington in the crime drama Blue Caprice, inspired by true events. Available on demand the same day as its theatrical release. In The Kings of Summer, three teenagers spend their summer finding their independence in this comedy featuring Nick Offerman and Alison Brie, premiering on demand the same day as DVD.
1: The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The art house is now in your house.
0: This episode is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over a million high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 25% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SVU9.
1: From New York City, this is Film Spotting streaming video unit. I'm Matt Singer.
0: And I'm Allison Wilmore. And coming up on this week's show, Matt and I drive out to Matt's family's ranch with a bunch of high school friends for a weekend of drinking and carousing that could never in any way possibly turn violent and scary as we review All the Boys Love, Mandy Lane.
1: Later, we'll bring you Q Shots where we recommend some titles to rent or stream at home right now, all centered around a common theme. And inspired by All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, Allison and I are actually going to present an episode we recorded way back in 2006 that we taped and then we never got to air it after Allison made some very controversial comments about Mel Gibson's girlfriend. They had been recorded. You left them on her answering machine. Then they were played for the world. I think Radar found them and then they put them online. And we had to sort of uh, temporarily shelve that episode. Do you want to set the record
0: straight at this point? I just want to say that's not my voice. It was obviously an Alison Wilmore impersonator who was hired to just Mm. defame me. Conspiracy. Yes, and Mel Gibson should absolutely not hunt me down because he's very frightening. (laughs) In any event, what
1: we're going to talk about instead are what I'm calling here shelf sitters. Movies that were left on the shelf. They were acquired for distribution But then for one reason or another, they were left to rot away in a corner somewhere by their distributor. But first up is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. Allison, what are our picks this week?
0: Well, we have three new picks. All of them are currently available on demand. The first is The Bling Ring. This is Sofia Coppola's latest Maybe not her strongest, but also a pretty high-profile film. Uh, it was based on a true story of a group of teenagers who robbed the houses of the rich and famous, who turned out to have some really shockingly lax security, given how these teenagers were able, were able to get in. And it's a film that uh, deals with fame and kind of people who have it, who are in this group and who don't, which has been an ongoing theme for Coppola's career. But in this case, rather than come from the inside as some of our other films have. Um, films like Somewhere have suggested that it's lonely and hollow. Mm. And others like Marie Antoinette have suggested it can be pretty fab even if it ends in public execution. Mm. But in The Bling Ring, you have people who are just on the outside of fame, who are living in Los Angeles, are surrounded by both the media culture that is fame obsessed and have these actual celebrities so close by, kind of can run into them at clubs, can see see where they live online. And drive there if mm. they want to and i do think the film does something interesting in terms of that feeling you know when we talked about antiviral um we were saying that uh there's that metaphor of you being able to buy a cloned star's flesh and eat it mm-hmm. and i do that think wasn't the metaphor that
1: was the literal was, thing right but in like the that meant
0: the metaphor of kind of wanting to devour this yes. person that yeah. you're, you're that was the metaphor with. yes yeah. so uh, i i think that in some ways in like a less uh, disturbing and uh, futuristic way. The bling is about kind the same it thing. It does feed into that, right? Because yeah. it's like, I, I am fixated on this person, but I also have no problem taking her things, you mm. know, that actually, if I could, I would, you know, devour her whole and take her place. Mm. And that, in, in that kind of treatment of celebrity that is not worshipful in a fond way, necessarily, or at least doesn't have a divide between doing something that obviously bothers and disturbs this person. Right. You know? And it's got some very good performances. Uh, newcomer Katie Chang, Emma Watson is a really good time as the most sociopathic, probably, of the group.
1: Nikki came from Vanity Fair is here.
0: <laughs> Can I get you something to drink? So, how is Sam related? We've adopted her. I was friends with her mother, Mom. and this is my interview. Okay. Yeah, so
1: she has been living with us. Um, we met when my parents divorced, and now my mom homeschools all of us based on the philosophy
0: of The Secret, which is based on the laws of attraction. Can I like- talk, please? Sure. And Israel Broussard is pretty heartbreaking as the male member who gets pulled in and who is not the leader by any means. And it's, it's kind of an—it's a fun film. It's—it's it's exuberant in a way that. Uh, Coppola's films can have that the light on their feet that, that's a kind of a signature of hers. So that is The Bling Ring. It's currently available on demand.
1: Yeah, I like that movie a lot, actually. You said it, you didn't think it was one of her best, but I'm not as big a fan of Sofia Coppola's work in general, I think, as you are, and I really like that movie a lot. Saw it twice. I, I think it's really interesting. I think, and I don't think it's just about uh, fame and celebrity. I think it's also a lot about exhibitionism. Like, that's almost as big a part of it as a celebrity thing. Like, it's about... The over Like the, the movie of oversharing, not just not just these kids who want to become, as you said, they want to devour their these celebrities, but by the celebrities themselves. I mean, who are they're able to rob these people because they know, they exactly know where they what, are, they know where they are, yeah. because at every moment their their lives are being shared online and they can see, oh, they're going to be at a club opening in Vegas. We can go rob this person or oh, they're in new york at a store opening we can go rob this person you know and yeah. there's a great sequence i think the best scene in the movie where in one long take we watch as a couple of these kids rob i think it's the Adrena from the hills
0: yeah house Audrina partridge yeah
1: and um it's it's like a long shot long take and a long shot from a distance of her house which is this beautiful modern house um floor-to-ceiling windows in every room And we can watch the whole thing transpire from outside from a distance because the windows are open, there's no shades drawn, and the lights are on. And it's like, this is like, it's not even a house, it's like a stage, it's a place to be watched, you know? Like, you get the sense that this person has built this house or at least bought this house to live in so that she could be watched at all times. And I found that very interesting about it, that it's not just about fame, but about like the exhibitionism part of fame.
0: Right. And then that kind of behavior is adapted a bit into self-documentation in the teenagers lives as well. Yes. Posing with their things and posing and yeah, it's an, it's an interesting movie. I do like it does. I think it, it did feel a little less impactful to me than some of her other films, but I think it's still definitely worth a watch. So I, I think the, it's very, very good. Yeah. So that is The Bling Ring. It is currently available on demand, as is The East, which is a new film from Zal Batmanglij and Britt Marling, who together wrote Sound of My Voice, which Batmanglij directed and Marling starred in. This is another film about going undercover to infiltrate a closed group. Though in this case, it's Marling, who is the one doing the infiltrating, and she is an ex-FBI agent who has turned into a private investigator. She's hired to find out about an underground activist group called The East that kind of does these illegal actions against corporations, and they're kind of um, eco-terrorists in a way. And uh, they're led by a character played by Alexander Skarsgård, who kind of develops a relationship with Marling's character, and then it becomes you know it's kind of twisty it's a bit like sound of my voice in that way that it's about loyalty shifting and uh, and kind of like having your point of view shift and it's it's glossier and it's it's kind of interesting to see these two talents who really created a platform for themselves uh, with the first film at Sundance to kind of move on to slightly bigger things. So that's the East. It's available on demand, and the last film is Much Ado About Nothing, which is from little-known indie director Josh Whedon. Who? What's that guy up to? What's his name? Yeah, I don't know. Josh Whedon. Jo- Josh Whedon. Josh. Is he Wheaton. related to Will Whedon, the I guy from Star so. Trek: I think The Next Generation? Cousins, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so this Daunted film. Family. Yeah, I know. This is a film, uh, obviously. From Shakespeare, it's a Shakespeare adaptation. Who? Yeah, <laughs> just gonna keep riding. That. Yes, it's good. Just gonna it's keep good. going. It's good. It doesn't get old. No, really. not at all. But it was uh, kind of shot. In between blockbusters for, for, uh, and TV series for Whedon. Just for fun, uh, you got a lot of the actors who've worked with him before in in TV series and films. Amy Acker, Alexis Denhoff, uh, Nathan Fillion, Clark Gregg, uh, friends, Fran Kronz, Sean Mayer. Um, and they shot in his house, Whedon's house, black and white. I think it was shot in like eight day, 12 days. Um, and you know, I think is is just like a kind of screwball, comedy-style, modern adaptation of the the Shakespeare play.
1: You and haven't seen it yet? I have not I seen it I haven't seen yet. it either, yeah. But,
0: you know, it's, it's one that... Shakespeare's tough. Not every actor is up to handling the dialogue, but we didn't appreciate snappy dialogue like few others. True. I think he's kind of... In some ways, it's, it's, that was a part I appreciated more about The Avengers than the action sequences. The repartee. The repartee, yeah. yes. So uh, that is also, also available now on demand, and it's one I'm looking forward to seeing.
1: Once again, we're very happy to have Shutterstock.com with us as a sponsor of SVU. And at Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, advertisement, multimedia presentation, or other type of film project. You can choose from over a million high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics, and they have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Shutterstock sources the video clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips with many contributors who are professional filmmakers. And Shutterstock adds 10,000 video clips each week, so every time you visit, you'll find something new.
0: Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level, and they make it easy with sophisticated tools so that you can search and drill down by category, clip resolution, contributor name, and more. As you find the video assets you're looking for, you can save them to a clip box, and then you can access your selections anytime and share them with other team members. And Shutterstock has partnered with Facebook to provide advertising customers free access to all its images through Facebook's ad creation tool, a great resource for local businesses that want professional-looking ads. Shutterstock has flexible pricing, so you can choose between individual clips or video packs, and you can download clips in HD or save with standard definition or web formats.
1: You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You just start an account, start using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save your video selections to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU9, and new accounts will receive 25% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 25% off new accounts, use offer code SVU9. We thank Shutterstock for their support.
0: shelf sitters is there a better title for this is think, there a word for these movies i don't think there is because it also there, there are several reasons you can end up on the shelf that's right so i think coming up with something that makes it sound more like it's a problematic film is mm. uh, isn't fair because sometimes these are just caught up in bad business deals that's or, right know?
1: that's right and they really are there's like two schools or two strains of the of the of the shelf sitter I'm going to probably turn that into a profanity at some point accidentally, (laughs) and I'm just going to apologize now in advance. I
0: think just go on. Just don't – Just let
1: it happen? Yeah, just let it happen. (laughs) That would also imply the quality of these movies, which we don't want to do. But yeah, it's true. Sometimes a movie might be sitting on a shelf somewhere because it's terrible. But it's also possible that it's sitting on a shelf because of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with the movie's quality. Uh, It could be that – let's see. What different reasons could it be? The studio is under new management and the old regime bought the movie and the new regime doesn't know what to do with it or doesn't like it. Or maybe it's political and they don't want the old regime to get the credit for uh, for finding and discovering and putting out this new movie.
0: Yeah. Or sometimes uh, a company goes out of business or is right. bought and uh, the new company doesn't have – either like might not have a distribution arm or they might just uh, – you know be it might be caught in kind of a bankruptcy a, proceed, you know right, or like a legal, be, yeah. legal
1: uh, black hole right. or a gray area where off. it's right yeah. it's unclear who exactly owns it so yeah it doesn't necessarily mean um that the movie is bad and even when just because uh, let's say a, a studio executive thinks a movie is bad that doesn't necessarily mean that it is that's one guy's opinion you know you can have a different opinion you're not you're not obligated to agree with whatever executive took a look at some you know problematic quote-unquote movie and thought oh i don't don't know about this and say oh he must have been right like if you like it that who cares what that person thinks
0: right well this is also why a lot of these movies not all of them but a fair amount of them acquire a cult following because they're legendary right yes you're like this movie is too difficult for the studio to release but if only we could get a hold of it or like it's only available right. illegal bootlegs but you know it's amazing it's the best thing you'll never get to see that's right
1: it's the movie so-and-so didn't want you to see yeah. But then of course it could also be the movie they kind of saved you from seeing and they were right to do it. So th- there can be plenty of them uh that are stinky. Like we we could we could come up with a list of some movies, I'm sure, that sat on a on a shelf for a long time and ended up being pretty terrible. I mean, I just saw one recently that was pretty awful. Uh, I'm thinking of GI Joe Retaliation, which now the reason the stated reason for the delay in this case was that they wanted to add 3D to the movie. It was not shot in 3D. And they wanted to convert it to 3D to make extra money, of course. And, hey, you know, this is a business. Movie making is a business. I got no problem with that. So they they actually delayed the movie for almost an entire year while they uh, did a little bit of reshooting. There was some talk because Channing Tatum kind of blew up as a star right as the movie was about to come out. And so they decided to shoot a little extra with him to kind of beef up his part in the movie. Although having seen it they didn't beef it up all that much <laughs> you know if you imagine that they took him from a bit player who might get let's say uh, removed from the movie in some way in early in the scene f-
0: that's included in the trailer <laughs> right right
1: i'm trying to be coy here allison
0: <laughs> i'm just pointing out the scene is
1: included in the all right trailer. fine so the scene where he looks like he gets killed early in the movie like that was the original thing and you think oh well they must have erased his death and given him a a larger subplot or maybe he's wounded and maybe he goes in a coma or maybe he's kidnapped and they have to rescue him no not really it's basically (laughs) the same they just probably threw in what looked to me like a couple of more scenes of him palling around with Dwayne the Rock Johnson um like at playing video games with him so he wasn't
0: acting really he was just the two of them were just hanging out yeah it was almost like they turned they put them in their costumes
1: but then let them just do whatever they wanted (laughs) and then you know film them almost unawares So that movie, you know, delayed a year. I ended up not seeing it in 3D because I saw it on my, like, I rented it on, like, my PlayStation. Uh, And so, look, the 3D, I'm sure, was probably incredible. And from a financial standpoint, it was smart because the movie made a lot of money overseas. And a lot of uh, that was attributed to the 3D, that it made extra money because they were able to charge extra for 3D overseas. Uh, But I suspect part of the other reason was that the movie was kind of terrible, and adding the 3D was a big part of hedging our bets in the international market on a pretty crummy movie. And, hey, it worked! Good for them, but the movie was absolutely garbage and i think it sat on the shelf in part because it was garbage
0: yeah and you know i especially the direct-to-dvd shelves or the kind of limited release sure are like littered with ones where you're like i don't remember this person being in this movie and you're like oh it's from 2009 right <laughs> you know that it's been sitting around for a while and someone bought it finally right. and we're like we'll give it a nominal release a
1: moody thriller starring john cusack oh that sounds interesting yes he
0: made one didn't he make a, a the Chinese one called Shanghai. Yes,
1: there's one called – and he made another one called The Factory, which is actually available on Netflix, which I haven't watched. So we shouldn't impugn it without seeing it. That said, I'm sure it's terrible. But uh, <laughs> no, but again, like you, you, you see these names and you go, oh, that could be interesting. And there's usually
0: a reason you haven't heard of. It's
1: probably a reason, although once in a while there's a pleasant surprise. There's a pleasant I mean, surprise. You know,
0: we've talked about Margaret, which is one of yes, the kind of classic. legendary at this point films yeah. that was delayed for a really long time, and at that, that be, in this case because of creative struggles and disagreements. Right. But I mean this is and the again, there's
1: an example where the studio or studios or executives they had no faith in the movie, they didn't like it, they didn't you know cut it down, make it shorter, do like they really enforced a lot of frankly, unnecessary cuts and and changes on the movie. And when it came out, it was uh, beautiful. It was fantastic.
0: And that was one that people actually kind of seized on and it got some attention. But it very easily could have been one of those movies where... You're like Matt Damon,
1: is right? It, that could have been the movie we were looking <laughs> at on movie. Netflix. Exactly. Absolutely, this came. This was made in 2008,
0: right? Like Anna Paquin, like what? she's so
1: young in this, right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it could have had that same fate if not for a few uh, twists and turns.
0: All right, well, let's get to
1: some specific picks. As usual, what we're going to do is we've each got one recommended title for streaming and one recommended title for rent. Allison, do you want to start?
0: Yeah, I'll start with my streaming title. I picked. I ended up picking for both of my my, my movies here. Um, musicals because there is something also musicals difficult especially a more a modern day kind I was going to say reasons. these days it's certainly these days is. it's difficult yeah. and I think both of these movies kind of speak to and I think you know they're both imperfect movies but you can kind of see why why no one was jumping all over themselves to rush them into theaters. Mm. Well, the first one uh, is my streaming pick, which is The Fantastics. This is currently streaming on Amazon Instant Video. This is a night, it was made in 1995, finished in 1995, directed by Michael Ritchie, who directed The Candidate, The Bad News Bears. Uh, and it's uh, based on the very, 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 very long running off Broadway play of the same name. And it's about two uh two kids basically two played by Jean louisa kelly and joey mcintyre my favorite of the new kids on the block and <laughs> their, their farmer parents they both have single dads joel gray and brad sullivan and it's about how their their fathers pretend to have a feud in order to kind of reverse uh engineer their children falling in love by forbidding their children to speak to one another you know and uh this was scheduled for release in the th- in like around Thanksgiving of 1995 and then they did test screenings and no one reacted that well to it. And so
1: No one reacted well to the Fantastic starring one of the new kids? I know. My favorite new kid. Do you um, have do you have like an official order of all of them?
0: Yeah, I could. Let's save it for later. All
1: right.
0: <laughs> Let's save it for off-air. Fine. Um, but uh, so Francis Ford Coppola was actually brought in to cut the film from 111 minutes to 86 minutes Ouch. or so. Which is the cut that I think you'll find now. Okay. But it uh, was given a contractually obligated theatrical release in 2000. Um, and, you know, it was given... Few theaters made almost no money, and that was that. But it's really not a bad film. I think what's, what's kind of both its problem and what's charming about it is that it tries to be like a big, romantic, old school musical in a way that they just like you can't, you're looking at it and it's a contemporary ish film, it's a 1990s film, and it, the, it just doesn't match. You know, there's a real discordance to that. Um, and the the stage play is kind of a minimalist production, but this is not. It's set in like a kind of it looks like Oklahoma. It's set in, you know like it's got this big sweeping uh, backdrop of farmland, and it's got these two kind of like very cute houses where the the two farmers and their children live. And a circus comes to town, carnival comes to town, and they kind of end up hiring this dashing performer there to to stage a fake kidnapping of the girl so that the guy can come to the rescue and uh, they can then fall in love for real, bury the, f- bury the fake feud, and everyone will live happily ever after. Hmm. They're trying to fall in love. Where are you going? I'm going to go test out some of the stuff in the book. Where are you going? Uh, gotta make sure the hogs get fed. They're all dressed up. Got a date with one of them? Their fathers want them to fall in love. We got ourselves a little problem. A love problem. Or well, what would you two be willing to do in front of an audience? We're talking about our kids. They just need a little help.
1: All my life, I've waited for something magical to happen.
0: Here I am. From a professional. That's a service. Now, a trip to El Gallo's Carnival will be the beginning of a fantastic adventure. Sometimes it's very charming, especially at the end, um, kind of after... After the the kind of fake romantic rescue has happened and then they kind of figure out that that's not, it's not real. And then they kind of have a, a real romantic reconciliation after going through some things. There's a really lovely, gorgeous ending sequence. But uh, some of the others just feel a little, not even insincere, just kind of out of time. You know, it's, it's, they just don't work some of the scenes, but it's very achingly sincere uh, and and the the two lead performers are actually like like very charming, um, and it's got some you know great like Joel Grey was a, is a kind of Broadway legend, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it does feel like an odd fit of a, a very small play into a very large cinematic backdrop. So you can kind of see why it didn't quite work. But the timing also was not great. The you know mid '90s was probably not the ideal time to try and release a musical like this. Interestingly enough, um, the songs were performed live by the actors, a la Les Mis, mm. um, and recorded live rather than kind of dubbed in. Interesting. Um, which is something that I think they claimed Les Mis invented, but there were several films before them that did it, <laughs> including this one. They invented. Um, so it, it's it's definitely a, it's got a, it's a bit of an oddity, but it's really a beautifully made one, and there is something very big hearted about it, and also it has my favorite new kid on the block in it. So that is the Fantastics, and it is currently streaming on Amazon. So which Which version did you watch
1: the longer the
0: shorter shorter version
1: and would you say it had the right stuff
0: i mean i don't know what's in the longer version
1: would you say it was hanging tough
0: yeah thank you do you know any other songs no that's all i got yeah i thought you would run out soon i really wish you could have worked that bit longer let's get
1: my wife in here she could (laughs) name them all and and probably perform them too so it's the shorter version is available but that's the version you still think has merit and worth worth checking out yeah Okay. My first pick was filmed in 2009 and then ultimately released in 2012. It's available now on Netflix. And we've talked about it briefly on the show before. I took a look. Allison, we have both recommended it on different (laughs) Behind the Eight Ball segments. But I wanted to talk about it today for the last time, and then we'll put it in the SVU penalty box, and no one will ever mention it again. (laughs) Uh, But I did want to talk about it today because I think it really fits nicely with All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, and that's The Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard. And why I wanted to talk about it is the fact that they're both horror movies. They both sat on the shelf, but they're not just horror movies. They're horror deconstructions. And they're made by people who, at least to my eye, they very clearly love the genre, but I also think feel a little bit ambivalent about it. And they're um, maybe not troubled, but they're at least they're thinking about it critically in a way that I think a lot of horror movies do not do, that they just go through the motions or they're just there for titillation and shock value. And like Mandy Lane, I don't want to spoil our review, but The Cabin in the Woods is, is more than that. You know, it's not just about, a bunch of kids going to a cabin in the woods for some naughty fun and then getting attacked by crazy redneck zombies or whatever they are. You know, it's, it's also about the reasons why you or I or anyone would watch a movie where people go to a cabin or attacked by zombies. I I don't want to spoil anything, but there is a, there is more to that, the, the story than just that there, there is like this layer of reality above that where people are watching within the movie. People are watching what's happening and they're, uh, they're basically, frankly, they're they're a, a metaphor for the creators of the movie who are sort of inflicting these these horrible things on these these teenagers, these victims. But there's also the sense that they're watching what's happening and that it's all there for our amusement or from some higher powers amusement.
0: Um, they also inflict types on these characters, and these are like people who don't fit actually the easy types. That's that, true. that you would want them to, or you know, kind of expect them to in the beginning. Yes. But they've all been assigned roles, right? And
1: I think it's similar in that way to uh, to Mandy Lane as well. That there, are, there are, that we assume these things about these kind of characters at this point because we've watched so many other horror movies. So I think it's interesting to like think, you know, like we talked already a little bit in a general way about like. These shelf sitters, quote-unquote, and why a movie might get stuck on the shelf. And it's like, why are these movies that are – to me, they're successful both as, you know, horror movies but also as, like, these very interesting meditations on horror movies. Why do these keep getting – you know, why do these keep getting – you know, shelved? Why do they wind up, why do they always seem to be the ones that wind up having trouble? I mean, your Next is another recent example, which I don't think is available online yet, but is in theaters, or very recently was in theaters, that is also, you know, a very smart genre movie, but is also a little bit about that. I think it's a less meta than the others that I've talked about here, but also just, you know, another movie that had a lot of trouble getting a release date. It's like, it's almost like, I don't know. Is it is it the twists in them involved well, I mean, that you about, can't it's hard to sell a movie like this that's because what I was gonna say
0: think about Cabin in the Woods. Think about what that poster looked like. Think right. about how difficult it was to even describe to someone what that movie was about right. without feeling like you were ruining the surprise.
1: I'm still having trouble describing it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean I'm walking on eggshells here. You know,
0: it the the poster was like a kind of Rubik's Cube cabin. Right, which it tells you nothing. Puzzle tells, tells you nothing. And yeah. also I think gives you a vague sense of it being like
1: A puzzle movie. A puzzle movie. Which it's not.
0: Yeah. And and you know it's it's so difficult to market and right you know even same with, thing with mandy lane i right. think too and, and even with a star like this is one of those movies where chris hemsworth you know is like much more famous now than he yes. was when he was starring in it but even with a star in it you know i don't know that they had an easy time pushing this movie out there no no we're
1: gonna lock this place down he's right We will go room by room barricade every window and door we gotta play it safe no matter what happens we have to stay together This isn't right. What? What's the matter? Uh, this isn't right, we should split up. Maybe we, we can cover more ground
0: that way. Yeah. Yeah, a good idea.
1: Really? so I, I don't know I, I guess that's kind of sad though isn't it i mean if we if we're going to say that the marketing because I can I, I it's not that I'm saying it should be easy i'm in, I'm acknowledging it must be very difficult to market the Cabin in the Woods and Mandy Lane and some of these other movies so but if that's the case and that's the reason why these movies aren't coming out it's still kind of a sad statement right that that it's all marketing it's all about how can you sell this movie sure. it seems like almost like everyone agrees the Cabin of the Woods is a great movie, you know, but how do you sell it? Yeah. And if you can't sell it... It's a
0: business problem.
1: Yeah. So that's rough. Well, anyway, I haven't talked much about the movie itself, but I wanted to have that conversation, and I'm glad we did. But uh, like we said, it's hard to talk about anyway, so probably it's for the best if I don't spend too much time dwelling on it. But I think it's it's both a very kind of... It's spooky and kind of fun, and it's also a super smart movie. So if you haven't seen it yet... This is the last time we're going to mention it for a while, so (laughs) you better see it soon or you're going to – yeah, exactly. You better watch it now or you're never going to watch it. So that's The Cabin in the Woods. It's available now on Netflix.
0: All right. My next pick is available for rent on Amazon and iTunes, and it is another musical. It is romance and cigarettes. Oh boy! Yes. You love this I movie. I do love this movie, but I understand exactly. Care, care why. to hum a
1: few bars of the some uh, of it?
0: Uh, Lonely as a man without love. That's right. Lonely as a man <laughs> without love. All right, that that's good. Thank yeah, no you. problem. Carry on. Fortunately for everyone who who's about to who's going to rush out and see this movie right away, very few people in the movie do any better job of singing than I do, which is one of the interesting oddities about this one. It is directed by John Turturro. Premiered at Venice in 2005. Um, United Artists were supposed to release this film, uh, and its parent company MGM, who gets like tossed around a lot, we were bought in this 2005 deal by Sony and Comcast and some other people. Some of those films, like Capote, ended up going out through Sony Pictures Classics. But Turturro ended up giving Romance and Cigarettes a, li- a limited release himself in 2007. It was kind of caught in between worlds, and I don't know if Sony just passed on it or. You know, what happened? But Mm -hmm. despite having a kind of amazing cast, including uh, the late, great James Gandolfini, Susan Sarandon, Kate Winslet, it is not an easy film to like, but I feel like it's an easy one to kind of love because it's this raggedy musical. Um, Gandolfini plays Nick Murder, who is an iron worker. He's been married to Kitty, played by Susan Sarandon, who's a seamstress. Uh, They live in Queens. And uh, they have three grown daughters. Uh, some of whom are played by actresses who are like, you know, so close to Gandolfini in age as to I think one is uh, Aida Tuturo, uh mm-hmm. John who Turtur- who's in The Sopranos, uh, you know, who can't, I think, possibly be Gandolfini's uh, daughter. But it's such is like kind of oddness of the of the film. But basically, Nick ends up having an affair with a, a lingerie salesgirl played by Kate Winslet. And
1: the casting in this movie is just ridiculous. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, it's a musical, but it uses songs like Lonely as a Man Without Love or Delilah or Peace of My Heart. And the characters sing kind of along to the tracks as they express their emotions. And right. so, in some ways, it's like yeah like listening to someone sing along to the radio or sing something. along to the radio
1: or like singing in the shower yeah
0: exactly like it's ragged it's, it's very, deliberately yeah. very ragged like no one is made to sound particularly you know like 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 they're in a professional musical right but there's something I mean it's, it's like half a really ridiculous movie and then there are moments of it that I think are kind of weirdly magical like the moment that uh, James Gandolfini steps out into the Queen Street and sings lonely as a man without love I cannot face this world That's fallen down on me So if you see my girl Please send her back to me Tell her about my heart That's slowly dying Say I can't stop myself the end is like just this amazingly melancholy beautiful moments um so i i think it, for sheer oddity alone this is a really interesting movie but i also think it's like a really it's it's a sporadically incredibly beautiful one and then a sporadically ridiculous indulgent one uh, and it's one i really like a lot and it's got a great role from gandolfini and gandolfini sings and uh, when do you get to see that Um, So that's Romance and Cigarettes. It is available for rent on Amazon and iTunes.
1: Did you have a chance to look at the movie again before this? A little bit. Now, how did you feel watching it, you know, given that Gandolfini passed away? I mean, as I recall, without spoiling it, I remember the movie is not exactly a happy movie and there's kind of a darker edge to the storyline. I mean, did some of that, I mean, uh, did that change anything Yeah. No,
0: because in a weird, it felt like such a good fit for him as a role. I think that's the thing is that like... It was a guy who kind of like was both this like really big-hearted guy but mm-hmm. also kind of consumed by you know things that he wasn't unable to stop even though he kind of knew they were problematic right. and I think I don't know I think I thought it was a really great role for him mm-hmm. yeah
1: Okay. I was just curious because, you know, when I'm hearing you talk about it, I'm thinking about it and remembering it and then thinking about him and just going, oh, that's interesting. You know, the the sadness that's kind of built into the exuberance of it as well is kind of interesting. Okay, that's a good pick. I don't. I don't like that movie as much as you. Brad. I know you love that movie. I do love, you, I think I love this movie. After John Turturro, you might be that movie's I, uh, yeah. biggest fan. I it's am You should possible. hire me <laughs> to, to, to be do, the publicist. I don't know what after yeah. the fact. All right. <laughs> uh, my last pick here is available now on Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. It was delayed at least twice because of its star. Who, like Allison, was leaving angry messages on his uh, girlfriend's machine. (laughs) That was Mel Gibson, and the film was The Beaver, which was finally released in 2011. And I don't think it's a a great film. The movie is problematic. It's not like the movie, this is not Margaret. It wasn't a masterpiece that was, you know, uh, kept out of theaters due to circumstances that were completely unfortunate or out of its control. Obviously, some of the circumstances, while unfortunate, were in in the uh, stars control. But uh, even without that, uh, the movie has – the plot, I think, is a little messy in a way that I don't think is is necessarily a good thing. But there is something interesting about this movie and about this performance from Mel Gibson as this guy who's so screwed up. And I I think the fact that the movie was delayed – and this is the reason I picked to talk about it – is like the delay – in some ways enhances the movie because the movie is about this guy who 's so screwed up, and obviously Mel Gibson has so many pro i mean he so, 's so screwed up himself you know and it like it's a, it, maybe this is one of my own personal prejudices about movies is i 'm always fascinated uh, by the you know hidden autobiographical subtext of actors movies you know actors choices you know we always talk about directors as the auteurs, and they're the ones who are making the movies and saying things and making statements. But uh, I always think that the actors, especially the really powerful ones who can pick their projects, are often doing that. And we just, you know, we don't always think about it or we don't notice. And in this case, it was hard not to notice because it was so obvious and and blatant. And because I think Gibson actually brought a lot to the character. I mean, he could, it doesn't take a a genius or a guy who reads a lot of uh, Us Weekly or whatever to know that he's had some personal problems and he's uh, probably suffered from a lot of the same uh, issues as this character except he probably i say probably i don't want to guarantee it but probably has not put a beaver puppet on his hand (laughs) and started talking through it as a way to mitigate his depression although that said he's very convincing doing it so perhaps he has had some real world experience i don't know
0: this is the story of walter black a hopelessly depressed individual the successful and loving family man he used to be has gone missing and no matter
1: what he's tried walter can't seem to bring him back what's
0: that it's a brain mom says yours got broken
1: so you can see that walter is a man who's lost all hope but he's about to find his voice bloody hell look at you i'm sick do you want to get better who are you?
0: I'm the Beaver Wood. and I'm here to save your damn
1: life. <laughs> uh, the movie was directed by Jodie Foster, who also co-stars in it, and uh, they're, they're like friends I, in real life now. Gibson and Foster are friends that go back like you know over a decade. They made Maverick together, and they've stayed friends. And she's like the guy, the the guy. She's like the woman who's hung by him through all of all of his personal problems and it's sort of like it's interesting because you know they're married but they don't have a ton of chemistry together but there is it's sort of like a love letter to a from one friend to another like i know you're screwed up i know you're trying you know like uh trying you know like really you know it 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 goes from this place where you go from hating mel gibson which i wouldn't fault anyone for hating for some of the things he's done and said you know to just feeling bad pitying him you know he you really um uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, portrait on that level. And again, I, I don't think the plot necessarily works. There's a lot going on. He's like, a, uh, he's like the head of a toy company, and there's this whole plot about the beaver and making toys. And I don't necessarily think that works. And there's a whole subplot with uh, Mel Gibson's son, who's played by Anton Yelchin, who has his own mental problems. And he's got a whole thing with Jennifer Lawrence sort of right before she broke out. And I don 't know that that plot necessarily makes that much sense, but the the core performance there with Mel Gibson and the beaver is so there's something there there's something to it and and again the fact that he had all these problems in real life and they kept pushing the movie back because of it i don't know something about that uh, it really does enhance the tragedy of it all to me uh, so that is the beaver and it is available now on Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. Eagles, Eagles, Bra- There she is, boys. Mandy Lane, untouched, pure. Since the dawn of junior year, men have tried to possess her and to date, all have failed. Chloe, is she in? I'm working on it. You're coming this weekend, right?
0: Right. She's coming to my ranch, dude. Welcome to paradise, Mandy. You seem different. It's
1: because I it's listener's choice review time, and after our last episode, SVU listeners chose All the Boys Love Mandy Lane as our next Listener's Choice Review. It got forty four percent of the vote, compared to our idiot brothers thirty-six percent is pretty close.
0: Close, yeah.
1: And then in, in third place was Touchy Feely, which got eighteen percent. And uh The fact that it won, I think, is no small feat because All the Boys Love Mandy Lane has had one of the most tortured trips from a festival premiere to a theatrical VOD release, maybe in movie history, really. I mean, to detail it all, we would need probably a whole extra episode of the show just to go through all the ins and outs. But the short version is the movie bounced around Hollywood for years, Uh, premiered in 2006. It's endured distributor bankruptcies. Uh, Studio executive dawdling And more distributor problems To give you a sense, Allison Of just how long this movie has been sitting on a shelf When it premiered Twitter was a month old The iPhone didn't exist And Breaking Bad was over a year and a half away (laughs) So that's the world in which this movie premiered Now the film is finally available in the US It stars Amber Heard Who is now 27 As a high school junior (laughs) Mandy Lane, she's a quiet but beautiful outcast who accepts an invite from a group of friends she's not all that friendly with to join them for a visit to a remote ranch where Mandy is the subject of unwanted advances from all of the men in attendance and innocence is spoiled at the end of a shotgun. Allison, when a movie sits on the shelf for seven years... That can create some expectations. Now, the expectations could be good, as we alluded to earlier. It's coming out after all this time, after, you know, after all this, it must be amazing. Or it can create bad expectations. This movie sat on a shelf for all this time. It must be horrible. So my question to you is, what did you expect from Mandy Lane? And were those expectations met?
0: I had, I would say, like, Good expectations. I'd heard good things about it. It has been, as you've mentioned, bouncing around for a while. It played at a lot of festivals. I think it managed to get bought by the Weinstein Company twice. Two different times. Two different this times. This is true. Yes. Um, but, you know, most of the word on the genre film festival circuit w- was good. Yep. Uh, not, you know, falling all over yourself. This is, you know, reinventing horror film as it exists. But, like, good. And I knew it was going to be a bit of a deconstruction mm-hmm. of the genre. And mm-hmm. I was looking forward to that. And I liked it. I, I actually like this film a lot. I think that it, it decon or it kind of approaches ideas about the horror genre and specifically the teen slasher dr- genre in and it, in a way that I didn't expect. I, it was not like a it's not a meta film. It definitely delves into ideas about like the final girl and about. Kind of teen sexuality, and also what mar- marks you for death in a horror movie, right. right? Like what activity in like the scream monologue, yes, right? Like tends to mark you for Having death. Having sex,
1: doing drugs, these right? Kind of things, um, yes, and
0: it, it, it deals with all of those, but not at the expense of making its characters just kind of, you know, there for metaphor's sake or for kind of to make this point. It actually does kind of fill out the characters that it has, that it introduces as they all go off to this ranch together. And I thought, you know, that was really nicely done. And it's also, uh, it's also very beautifully shot. Uh, It's like kind of, it looks like, like maybe like a very dreamy old home movie or something, except that it's very crisp. It's kind of like um, very, it looks like a modern day movie, but it's, it it tends to be shot in a lot of like magic hour, or just like gleaming golden sunlight. Yeah.
1: The whole look of it is very nostalgic.
0: Yeah. What did you think of the beginning? Because it's a while before we get to anything resembling horror. Uh, And and for a little while in the beginning, it's just almost like this very dreamy, slightly ominous teen movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, that was kind of the most interesting part, I guess. Yeah, same here. And I almost felt like the horror stuff – this is so interesting because we were talking about it earlier in terms of selling the movie. How do you sell a movie like – the Cabin in the Woods or Mandy Lane. And what's interesting is that to me, the horror el- elements here almost felt like the thing that was put in the movie to sell the movie. Yeah, You know, Jonathan Le- Levine wanted to make a, a more personal teen movie that was a little frank, kind of nostalgic, you know, but that didn't look down on, you know, teenagers being teenagers. You know, they, they seem fairly believable. These characters, they, they're pretty well drawn, as you said. But almost as if he didn't have faith that that would be enough to sell a movie, especially a first-time movie. This was his first feature, and that to stand out or to get, to get acquired, to get a job, to make his next movie, to get attention, he almost grafted a horror movie onto that premise because, as you said – for the first like half hour or maybe even more than that it's it's quite a while it's barely a horror film and it's not even you know like look a lot of horror films start with everything seems fine and then it builds and then it escalates and then it gets crazy but even in those kind of movies there's always like those hints you know there's the ominous cuts the guy in the black mask who's hiding in the corner who we see but the characters don't see or a cat jumping out from behind a door and there's a a squeak on the soundtrack you know things to build the tension build the mood and really right up until the horror starts in this movie there isn't even a glimpse of that you know there's there's like a, a several montages that are just a, again about nostalgia and sort of like the beauty of being a teenager and the and as you said the cinematography is warm and you know the music is melancholic but kind of beautiful too and I thought that was great. I was really enjoying that, and I was like, I thought this was a horror movie, and then it starts to become a horror movie, and and while it's it's perfectly uh, fine, it's it's not poorly done. It honestly, I, I I found like that was almost like a not necessarily a betrayal, but just kind of a letdown from the, the the potential of the movie to be something more than that. And I have to say, if the movie wasn't, I think, redeemed by an interesting final act, yeah. I would probably give this movie a very middling review overall, but given the, the the ending, which I liked a lot, and I think kind of also helps you recontextualize everything and maybe kind of want to watch the movie again, I'll give it a I'd give it a a, a, a mild to solid, but not over enthusiastic recommendation.
0: I like the beginning a lot. I, I would agree that I think the the horror aspect is certainly the least interesting part. But I like the beginning so much yeah. that I think it kind of made up for it for me. Mm. Because you're right. There's no hint of it being a horror movie. And yet, it is also shot through with unease that's unrelated to horror. This kind of, like, this, like it's psychosexual yes. weirdness I mean, of that's teenage. horrifying, too, exactly. but it's just a different But it's, it's unrelated kind. to what happens, really. Right. It's just about... Um, and because, like, Mandy Lane is, like, the most beautiful girl in school, but also this kind of remote thing, right? This untouchable object. But the way she's treated in the school kind of because of that, is really interesting unto itself, right? Which she is a bit of an idea, unlike a lot of the other characters. She's deliberately kept a bit of a mystery. Right. But that, the idea that, you know, part of her allure is her untouchability, right? The fact that she's this unattainable object. uh, But also that that makes... That makes her, like, that makes people chase her in a way that's kind of almost threatening. Yes. Right? She's a target. Yes. She's someone that, like, they go off for this weekend and all of the guys... Every single are guy. ...are discussing, yeah. you know, like, what who gets first dibs, who gets to, like... And, and it's, a, it's a race, you yes. know, to get her. And even just, uh, there's an opening scene involving... They, uh, she and her kind of outcast best friend get invited. She's suddenly hot, like over the summer. Maybe she so, seemed to have become beautiful. Right. They get invited to the cool kids' pool party, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of the the guys is up on the roof, and uh, he's persuaded to jump into the pool. He's wasted. It's not a good idea, but he he yells, you know, like, "Hey, Mandy Lane!" Before he does it, and it's like it's literally like like Damian. It's all for you <laughs> from the Omen. You know, like it's just weirdly like. I am about to do this, like I'm about to sacrifice myself on right. your behalf. Right. You know, like uh, the, the kind of power of like her beauty, but also of just like kind of teenage sexu- sexuality, mm-hmm. it like has this, it's given this weird pull, you know, that's like related to teenagerdom, but that it's like, it's made to feel kind of ominous just because of it's, so, it's so out of control.
1: No, I think that's a, that's a great comparison, and I like that comparison a lot. And yeah, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think what it is is that stuff is – I mean that's not stuff we often see in a movie, That what you're talking about, that topic, that theme, that idea. But the horror stuff, other than some of the stuff at the end, is pretty rote. I mean it's stuff we see in every horror movie. You know what I mean? So you've taken a kind of a very unique premise or at least a unique slant on a very formulaic premise – and then you 've then you 've applied this sort of very tired, very rote very ordinary kind of uh, handling to it, you know what I mean so it it kind of takes the edge of originality off of it, and I think that 's what we're both i think we 're a little objecting to that said the, again the ending, which we 're obviously not going to spoil, is again sort of original and sort of unique and i I think again kind of it basically redeems a lot of that stuff in the final accounting. I just think watching it you 're just kind of it 's just it's a, again, it's effective, but it's just not all that memorable. You know, there's nothing about it where you go, "Oh, this guy really understands how to cut for maximum tension," or the shots are so unique, or the the way that the characters are killed is so unbelievably inventive that you have to give it gruesome credit for originality. Not really. It's pretty by the numbers. No,
0: it's pretty rote, uh, and it's a lot. I, it's a lot of tricks that I think anyone who's seen a few slasher films have, has seen before. Right. Um, but I did, I did think the context, and I don't want to give away anything about like, the reveals, but I do think the context it puts it in, like after the fact, if you're looking back at kind of what the killer's motivation is, mm-hmm. is very interesting. Yes. Like, it is a context I don't think I've ever seen put on a slasher film before, which is like what it would have looked like you know, from like reporting it in the news. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that was interesting to me, if kind of half an idea.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. What did you think of Amber Heard? Because, you know, this was one of her big debut roles, but no one ever really saw it. Yeah. You know? And I've seen her in a lot of other stuff now. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times, obviously, she's beautiful. There's no question about that. But I've, a lot of the movies she's done, I haven't really connected with her. And I'm just like, why is, other than her obvious physical beauty, like, what is it that this she keeps getting parts? But in this movie, I see it. Like, this movie is really, like, her best, most movie starish performance and no one it's kind of funny how it i guess it did you know launch her career in a lot of ways but it's like i don't know that she's topped it
0: yeah it it's interesting because she's such like deliberately she's such an object in a lot of the film like the way it gazes at her the way right. like like all the guys do right like it, it kind of just, like, things that she does from, like, taking her, like, hair down or anything like that. Yeah, she's like, playing the, with... She plays right, with her she hair she plays with lot. her hair a lot. There are, and, like, is in the sunlight. There are moments where, basically, like, the film just stops to kind of observe her. Yeah, like, I think she's like,
1: introduced it, chest first. Right. And, and she's, then, yeah, like, and walking then down first, the... Yeah. Right,
0: like, down the hallway. Yeah. Or, like, even, like, she's running a lot, right? Like, she's, like, when you see her, like, jogging, like, yes. deliberate, like, that's deliberately put there. And, like, everyone's just staring. Maybe
1: she's just a jogging enthusiast, <laughs> right, exactly. Allison.
0: But I, I think... I mean, I think he does... The reason that the the ending works, the reason that I think, like, it's interesting to watch her in the first place is that she get, has this sense of reserve to her, you know, that yeah. like, that there is, she's hard to pin down. She's, I mean, part of why she's interesting to the other characters is that she's hard to pin down. Yes. Right? She's, she's beautiful, but she doesn't act like the popular girl. She's not necessarily shy. Right. But she... She's a little aloof. She's aloof. She doesn't seem interested in, she doesn't fit into a high school hierarchy. Right. right? And even though her beauty kind of earns her, like automatically earns her a place, she doesn't seem that interested in exploiting it. Um, And I think she does a really good job of maintaining that sense that's like almost frustrating to people around her where they're like they can't pin her down and gives a sense of like mystery that i think is really difficult to maintain given she's also supposed to be you know a teenage girl
1: right no i think you that's it she has this mystique about her she really does i mean you get why the characters would be drawn to her you don't necessarily think she's deserving of their disgusting creepy behavior but like that she does kind of present this kind of otherworldly uh, aura. And then at the end, when there there's, you know, stuff that's required for her to do something different, I think she pulls that off really well, too. And and it's not an easy performance to do because, as you said, she really is reserved and, and we don't get to learn that much about her for most of the movie. So a lot of it is projecting this unspoken energy, which I think she pulls off really well.
0: Yeah, and, I you know, I, I think that I'm glad the film's getting a release because as much as it's now way old like it's it's i think it's a great platform for her Mm. it's interesting to see anson mount who now has his own tv show hell on wheels uh as in as a ranch hand here who actually has kind of a big role um and i i think it's it's a well-directed film as much as we've both said that that maybe the like the half hour or so in which it's really just a slasher film is the least interesting part right um, and and it is it's got like the most kind of gorgeous Americana setting you can imagine, mm. and I, and it takes real interesting advantage of that.
1: Yeah, and I mean like Jonathan Levine, the guy who directed it, he's gone on. It's interesting that he's gone on to make like
0: poppy films. Yeah, yeah, I mean he
1: made he made the whackness,
0: he made 50/50.
1: 50/50, and now the most recent one was Warm Bodies, which was. Again, sort of like a quirky version of a conventional genre, it's like a zombie movie, but it's like a love story. I didn't see that yet, but it again seems to fit in the same sort of idea of taking a taking two things that don't necessarily go together and putting them together i mean even fifty fifty is like it's a comedy, but it's about cancer you know it's like he like kind of thrives on that you know incongruity of putting things together that don't necessarily fit together, and it works in this case, I think it doesn't quite work as well but i mean as a first film it's a definitely an impressive one uh when you look at it that way because it's very assured and it has a like you said it looks really beautiful and it's got something to it i mean the funny thing it's hard to talk about it without talking about the ending which we're trying not to do again yeah. it's like and the it's,
0: ending's really interesting yeah. I, once we're off air i really want
1: to ask but you again about it. <laughs> it, it speaks to like why didn't this movie come out and i think this is again a part of it it's like the most interesting thing about the movie is something you can't talk about We can't talk about, and they couldn't talk about as they're selling it. So how do you sell it? I think it's a mystery that I don't know if they ever quite solved, which is why it's coming out seven years later and has a sort of very generic kind of marketing campaign, which is like, hey, look, here's Amber Heard, who's beautiful, and she's kind of covered with blood. Don't you want to see this movie? When the movie itself is so much more complicated than that, and that's what makes it worth seeing is the stuff you can't talk about. But we can at least tell you to go see it or rent it. And the movie is called All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, and it's available now on VOD and iTunes.
0: All right. Now it's time for Behind the Eight Ball, in which we count down three new releases on streaming, two listener recommendations, and one selection from our Netflix My Lists. Not our cue. Not our cue. Our My List. I I thought you were going to do the voice. My List. Thank you. I didn't feel right without it.
1: I didn't realize it had taken on...
0: No, I, you've done I've, it now, yeah, Okay, like twice in a row, okay, I feel right. like it's a thing. It's a thing. It's okay. a thing. All right. So uh, you're going to go first, Matt?
1: Yes. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready.
0: All right. Three new releases. I'm going to
1: actually give you four for the price of three here. Not allowed. So sorry, it's going to happen anyway, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. First... Uh, You can celebrate or mourn Steven Soderbergh's retirement with his 2013 double feature. They're both available online right now. Side Effects, a very smart psychological thriller about marriage, infidelity, and other drugs, is available now on Netflix. And Behind the Candelabra, which I thought was an even smarter biopic about Liberace and his longtime lover, uh, is now available on iTunes. I finally caught up with uh, Candelabra just a few weeks ago, Alison. I really like that it's movie. It's so good. I yeah. saw it a few times. I wrote a long piece about it and how uh, I think it's kind of beyond, you know, just the biopic elements, how it's kind of like a swan song for Soderbergh. It's about farewells. It's about trying to write your own ending as, uh, in a lot of ways. So I, I thought it was really interesting. You can find that piece at the uh, at the Dissolve. But I recommend seeing that movie. I recommend both movies, Side Effects on Netflix and Behind the Candelabra on iTunes. Next, also available on iTunes, is Room 237, Rodney Asher's fascinating documentary about fans of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and their crazy theories about what it all really means, from an allegory about Native American genocide to a secret apology from Kubrick uh, for his role in faking the Apollo moon landings. My advice is watch this movie first, and then rewatch The Shining, which you can also rent. It's available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. And then after that, you can read uh, Stephen King's new Shining sequel book, Dr. Sleep. You could have a whole. Shining themed weekend perhaps uh, I don't know is that the way you would do it Allison Would you watch if you're going to watch them both Shining first or Room 237
0: first I would do Room 237 first especially I'm assuming that A lot of our re- our listeners have already, already seen, seen The Shining right. so you have like even if you don't Kind of remember the I- tiny tiny details That yeah. get talked yeah. about you remember what the exactly. Shining is Okay about. so yeah. we
1: agree about that so that's Room 237 It's available on iTunes and finally, I'll recommend a movie about the only telepathy in the universe more powerful than The Shining, which would be Blue Steel, wielded by one Derek Zoolander. That's right, Zoolander is now available on Amazon Prime, and it remains a very funny movie. I'm not sure, Ellison, if there's any line from any movie I use more in my day-to-day life, not as like a cutesy, obnoxious quote, like out of context, but as a way to express something as... Th- as Will Ferrell's line, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I don't know, if there's, I don't know <laughs> if there's a better expression for that feeling than the phrase, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And I say that a lot. And you we do. Ha- you do say it a lot. I do say it a lot. And I feel like we have Zoolander to thank for that. So thank you, thank Ben Stiller. Thank you, Will Ferrell. Thank you, Zoolander. That's available on Amazon Prime.
0: Okay. Two listener recommendations.
1: This first one is from Colleen, who recommends The Decoy Bride, which stars Kelly McDonald and David Tennant. It's a fluffy but well-done rom-com where David Tennant's character and his fiance, a famous actress, try to escape the paparazzi and have a private wedding by going to a tiny island off of Scotland. The island is full of eccentric villagers – and exactly one single youngish female who naturally ends up accidentally married to the groom. Accidentally, I hate when that happens. Accidentally married. Happened someone.
0: to me like last weekend. So annoying. Yeah. Uh,
1: describing it makes it sound awful, says Colleen, and she's right. Uh, but my girlfriend and I watched it basically because we were in the mood for fluff and like David Tennant a lot. Was he? Who was he?
0: He was a Doctor Who. Doctor Who. That's yes. what I thought.
1: I was. That's what I thought. Okay. So we were pleasantly surprised. Colleen writes by how much heart the movie had, along with moments that made us laugh out loud i also love that the rival female was not a terrible person who doesn't deserve the male lead as these movies tend to do she was very interesting and positive in her own right Uh, so that's the decoy bride streaming now on netflix and amazon and we also have this recommendation from michael who says future weather is on netflix instant and it's really quite good plus roger ebert finished his review with this phrase But when a movie shows a couple of bright kids excited about a muscle, it's hard to say no. Muscle, like, I guess, muscle, the food muscle? Uh, Okay. The creature, the The, sea creature The creature, the sea creature, the food muscle. It's hard to say no. So that's Future Weather, available now on Netflix.
0: Okay, and one from your My
1: List. My List. You gave me number 77, which uh, this week is... Miami Vice, the TV show starring Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas as Crockett and Tubbs in the classic 80s cop movie slash 80s fashion catalog. Uh, I can't tell you much more than that because I've actually never watched this show other than a few episodes on TV here or there as a kid. Uh, A couple years ago, I watched casually a little bit of it when I randomly found it on cable, and that's it. Uh, So that's why it's, it's in my list. Well, that and because, Allison, as you know, I'm a fiend for mojitos.
0: <laughs> I don't think that line actually, unfortunately, uh, appears in. It doesn't? I, I, I hope hold on, it does. Hold on. Okay, just delete it from my queue. If it's not in there,
1: I don't want to see it. Fair enough. Because I'm a fiend for mojitos. <laughs> there you go. Mm, that's my Colin Farrell, it Miami was, Vice It was voice. lifelike. It was eerily lifelike. I'm a fiend for mojitos. All right. Are you ready for your are you ready, and you ready to go? I am. All right. Why don't you start with three new mojitos? Okay.
0: First up is Mayor of the Sunset Strip, which is on Hulu. This is a 2003 documentary directed by George Hickenlooper about Rodney Bingenheimer, who is kind of an L.A. music zealot, I think is the the best word for it. He's been a journalist, a, a DJ, a club owner, essentially a professional fan, and he has a fascinating, fascinating life story that included his mother like he was kind of a a celebrity obsessive, you know, coming back around to the bling ring, but uh, whose mother dropped him off in front of Connie Stevens house at a certain point when his childhood and then just didn't come back. Like he, he was abandoned for years Mm. in, into basically the arms of celebrity. Um, But it's, it's kind of a movie about someone who is a professional fan. Mm. And if, if that's such a thing that you can do to be like a devoted fan of music i think it's more real now than it was exactly and in some ways it seems like something that he you know ronnie bingenheimer is not uh someone who made like a ton of money lasting money off of it but that it seems like something that probably could have been capitalized off of more now uh than than in the heyday of the la music scene that kind of is explored during the movie but it's got like all of these um You know, kind of major music scene people in it. It's also just like a kind of crazy portrait of this particular era. And also, so new on Netflix is Give Me the Loop. This is a movie I haven't seen yet. This is a uh, 2012 movie written and directed by Adam Leon. It's his directorial debut. And it, it actually it came out at South by Southwest and then ended up at Cannes, uh, which is not often something that a little American indie movie manages to do. It's about two graffiti artists who decide to tag the home run Apple at City Field. They decide that this is their way to establish themselves in the graffiti world Basically, it's about their day as they try and make the money they need to achieve this this monumentous uh, thing. So uh, it's, it's a movie I've heard a lot of great things about, and I'm glad that it's on Netflix. So I will finally get a chance to see it. And finally, also new to Netflix is Poetry, 2010 South Korean film directed by Lee Chang-dong. It is about a grandmother who is taking care of her kind of irresponsible grandson Uh, and taking a poetry class and she's also started to have the early signs of Alzheimer's and it's about someone kind of trying to learn to appreciate beauty in terms of the very like literal like poetic sense when these very dark things happen and it's a really great film it's not a short film it's one you have to kind of settle in to watch but Mm -hmm. it's so good it's very it's just very very well done and has a fantastic lead performance so that is poetry it is streaming on Netflix yeah
1: that's a really good movie okay now two listener recommended mojitos
0: all right first up we have a mojito from Matt (laughs) he uh, he says I highly recommend a South Korean film called Planet of Snail. This is a 2011 film directed by Yi Yi Sang-jun. Here's a description from Netflix: A deaf-blind recluse with few ties to the outside world finds an ideal mate in a disabled woman who expands his universe and inspires his passions. Their life together might not be grand, but it's beautiful in its simplicity. Matt writes, I saw this at the University Art House this past year and thought it was very endearing without being cloying or empty-headed. The husband and wife make a very compelling pair as they assist one another through daily tasks and ruminate over the status of their relationship with each other and the world around them. Discussions with friends add an interesting dimension to their perspectives. The overall attention to detail and sensory experience makes the film stand out. It is one of my favorite... Uh, it is one of my favorite movies of any kind from the past few years. I was afraid not too many people will get a chance to see the film, but I am so glad it might reach a wider audience by being available on Netflix instant. Uh, it's a movie I've seen and I think it's, it's pretty great. Um, and I would also recommend it. It is currently streaming on Netflix and Susan recommends goodbye. First love, which is directed by Mia Hansen love. It's also currently streaming on Netflix. It's a great little film uh, about feeling, the feeling of first love that can kind of stick with you even later in life as you go on to other relationships. Um, And it's, it's from a great filmmaker. That's one I would also recommend. All right. One film, Mojito chosen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Blindly by number from your, my list of Mojitos.
0: Okay. uh, You gave me number 44 and this is Casa de mi Padre, the kind of formalist Spanish language telenovela yeah. starring Will Ferrell. I know this is one you're a fan of. It's not, uh, I haven't, I, I, I was, fan is a, maybe not quite the right word. Yeah,
1: I wasn't as huge a fan. You know who is a fan is film spotting original recipe co-host Josh Larson is a big, He's Casa a big supporter. De, yeah, He's a big he supporter. loves Casa de mi Padre.
0: Uh, well, it's one that I've only taken a very, very short look at. And, you know, I, I feel like the commitment to it is something that... May be worth like a longer look and uh, either way the the people who made this are going on to make an irc miniseries that's basically a deadpan parody of uh, like a swooping Thornbirds (laughs) style multi-generational miniseries really yes based on a fake novel that's written by a character played by will ferrell so oh boy so you know i thought i need to to bone up ahead of this so that's that's my my list pick
1: all right well it's time to get to our listener's choice options for our next Episode and after a couple of episodes where we were doing all new movies, we thought let's go back let's let's find some older titles let's take a break from the new stuff. Although there there was plenty of options that we could have done, including a lot of the you know stuff we talked about this week on opening break and behind the eight ball. But we're gonna we're gonna take a, a little pause from the newer stuff and we're gonna dip into the back catalog, starting with our first option, which is from 1991 and it's called The Lovers on the Bridge, which is available now on Netflix. It's the third film from director Leo. Kara, Carrick. We still we still don't have. I like Kara. That sounds good. We still don't have a. uh, It's 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 a pseudonym, isn't it? It's not a real name. So yeah, he yeah. I think you can call him whatever the heck you want. So anyway, good old Leo's here. He uh, this is his third film. He of course made Holy Motors recently, which was my favorite movie of last year. Uh, I know you liked it too, Allison. Right? So this is a movie that he made in 1991. And stars Holy Motors star Denny Levant as Alex, a homeless, fire-eating addict living on the Pont Neuf, an abandoned – I can't speak French – an abandoned bridge in Paris that's under renovation for the bicentennial celebration of the French Revolution. When Alex meets Michelle, played by Juliette Binoche, a starving artist who's losing her only asset, her vision, these two lost souls come together to become whole again in a most unexpected way. I've never seen this movie, and I love Tolly Motors, so it seems like it would be a good excuse. And I've been looking for one to rewatch it, uh, not to rewatch it, but to watch it for the first time. So I'm dying to see this one. That is The Lovers on the Bridge. It's available now on Netflix. What's option two, Allison?
0: Option number two is Down Terrace. Uh, this is a 2009 crime film from Ben Wheatley, who's a director we both admire. He did Kill List and Sightseers and A Field in England. His new film is, is about to come out. And this was his first film, and he shot it in something like eight days. And it was a big winner at the British Independent Film Awards. It was kind of led him to be heralded as the great, you know, new. British hope of filmmaking, et cetera, et cetera. It is uh, currently streaming on Netflix. It's one I've been meaning to get around to for a while. I've heard good things about it. It's supposed to be you know, a lot of fun. And so uh, it seems like this would be a good time to finally get around to it. So that is Down Terrace. It is on Netflix.
1: Okay. And last but not least, also on Netflix. So there won't be any Netflix bias accused. Sometimes people <laughs> say, well, of course, the one that's on Netflix is the winner. That's right. the most popular. Well... It's going to be a straight shoot this time because they're all available on Netflix, including this final option, which is The Sacrifice from 1986, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky. It was his final film. Uh, Here is the description uh, from Roger Ebert's review, which I was glancing at when we picked it and – it is so, it's such a good review. I mean, it's so awesome. But here was how he described it. He says, this film is about a man who learns or dreams that the bombers have gone on their way to unleash World War III. He offers his own life as a sacrifice if only his family can be spared. And I'm just going to keep reading a little bit more. He says, this movie is not easy to watch and it is long to sit through. So there's your selling point, Allison. <laughs> he says, yet a certain joy shines through the difficulty. Tarkovsky has obviously cut loose from any thought of entertaining the audience and has determined in his last testament to say exactly what he wants in exactly the style he wants. And and uh, Tarkovsky was very ill when he made it. He passed away not longer after it came out, so he's saying it. That this was very personal to him and also uncompromised. You know, he made the movie he wanted. He didn't care what anyone else had to say. He wasn't concerned about, uh, you know, uh, uh, marketing it. He wasn't concerned about how some company was going to sell this movie. He just wanted to make it. What will them- the poster look like? Right, exactly. There was no concern about that. So. That's option three. That's The Sacrifice, and it is also available on Netflix.
0: So which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting streaming video unit? You can send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Uh, we'll give you a little, an extra day since we're a little late with this one because uh, Matt was at Fantastic Fest. So yeah, sorry. Your, vote, your vote must be received by Tuesday, October 1st at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at FilmSpottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be around Tuesday, October 8th. FilmSpottingSVU is also where you can find
1: our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The FilmSpottingSVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie and TV recommendations and the review you pick. But in the meantime, you can follow Allison and I on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. And remember, keep sending us your recommendations. SVU at FilmspottingSVU.com so we can read them as part of the show. For Film spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer.
0: And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening.